All right, so we're back. All right, so, um, so I just turned it off. Uh, I'm going to try by the end of every week to remember my, remember my microphone. And then secondly, what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to hopefully give us a theme every chapter. Um, and behind me, you can see and on your handout um, that we, uh, Ashley did some amazing work pulling strings and all this kind of stuff. And she had somebody who was able to draw um, a graphic for each chapter of the book of Genesis. So the goal is that you would remember it through visual. You would remember it through a say, statement or saying so that you would walk out of here, not an expert in Genesis per se, but at least you would be able to carry on a conversation with those in your family or with those around you and say, oh yeah, that's Genesis 3 or oh, that's Genesis 11. So you kind of know a little bit of what, where the Bible is saying in this, this goal. So that's, that's the goal. It's, it's one of the goals is to take a chapter at a time, give you these things. And here's the other thing I know about this, knowing that we're going to take it a chapter at a time, I'm probably going to end up frustrating many of you in the room because I'm not going to hit everything you want me to hit. I'm going to probably take stances where you want me to, where you don't want me to take stances. And I'm probably not going to take stances where you want me to take stances. And so you're going to get frustrated along the way, but that's okay. Uh, there's, there's time to dissect those, especially as we get into community groups. That's where you can tell your small group leader, or your community group leader, hey, we didn't cover this. And then you can just blast them with it. So that'd be great. Um, and then B, um, my goal is that you have a knowledge of each chapter and able to pass it on. I talked about that, and I want to give you a summation as we walk through it. So for this week, chapter one, okay, Genesis chapter one. Here is my summation of where we're going for the entire morning, and it's my summation of chapter one. This is not inerrant. This is just something I found hopefully helpful to you and to me. Here is Genesis chapter one in a nutshell. God is the all-powerful creator who created all things to flourish under his good and loving rule. I think if there's anything we take out of Genesis 1, and we can get into a ton of debates, the biggest thing I think I hope that you get out of this is that God is the all-powerful creator who created all things to flourish under his good and loving rule. Genesis, as you know, is our creation accounts, and creation accounts, as you may know or may not know, are not isolated to the Bible neither in their time of writing the book of Genesis, nor in our time today. Just to take an example, Babylonia, uh, one of the earliest creation stories that we have next to the Bible, is called the Unama Elish, uh, and this is where God disapproves, where the gods disapproved of each other's actions and creations, and therefore they sought to destroy each other. So in their creation story of the Babylonians at this time, gods were so angry at each other that they decided they needed to destroy one another, and a net was cast over one of them, which is named Timyat, and he trapped him under, uh, uh, underneath the net, and another guy, as Timyat was underneath the net, another god came and maced him in the head, cracking his skull and killing him. And then they took the carcass of this dead god, and half of the god's body was then used to create the sky, and then the other half of the, god, of the body was used to create mankind, earth, and the constellations. That was the creation story according to the Babylonians. The Sumerians, they also had one, and this is probably the well-known creation story of Gilgamesh, and you've probably read that or heard that if you've been around that story as well. The Egyptians had many stories of creation. They had many gods, including the incarnate view of Pharaoh that was actually sitting at as a living God. Hindus have their creation story. They all vary and are coming, from diff- are coming from different things. Some creation stories are about pea pods and ravens. Some are about ears of corn. Some are even about um, this Nord- Nordic God or this Norse God that actually pre- comes after 
or I'm sorry, he preceded Thor and Odin. So if you guys are Marvel characters, like Thor and Odin, I know them. I know those gods, okay? Those were based off the Norse gods, and this was preceded him. And there was a god called the name of Ymir, and this god was the god of chaos. And Ymir had to be nourished by a primal cow from dripping, that was formed or made, the cow was made out of dripping ice. And while he was being fed, two other guys formed out of the sweat of Ymir's armpits. I mean, it's a whole thing of creation stories, and it just doesn't matter which one you have. There's a bunch of different views. The Bible, I believe, though, and I would back this up 100%, this is the only creation story, though, where humanity and all that we see are not formed as a result of some cosmic war, but instead are created by a God of order, by a God of rule, a God of creativity, and a God of compassion. You see, the God we have is not like the other gods that were basically, you know, there was one story that the, the gods were just angry because the humans were making too much noise that they took them out, okay? So, so there's a bunch of different things, but our God was the God of rule, creativity, and compassion. Now, creation stories add to that, Genesis chapter 1, that there is so many questions riddled in Genesis chapter 1. A quick Amazon search, for instance, of Genesis 1 alone yielded for me this week about 3,000 different entries of just Genesis chapter 1 and resources on Genesis chapter 1. So there is no way we're going to cover all of it, but I'll at least give you summation as where we come into. Not only are there Amazon links, there is also, if you grew up in church uh, and have been around this book, you may have heard terms such as young earth, old earth. Um, Does the Bible fit science or does science fit into the Bible? Do I have to believe in a 24-hour day creation to be a Christian is one of the stories that comes out of Genesis 1 or questions that come out of Genesis 1. Gap theory, day-age theory, theistic evolution, and probably the biggest question you get out of Genesis chapter 1 are, dude, where's the dinosaurs? I thought there was dinosaurs. I thought for sure, like, I was going to hear about dinosaurs. I, I remember in middle school, that was the big question in middle school. Like, they knew I went to church and youth group, and they're like, uh, hey, Christian boy, uh, I read my Bible, and there's no dinosaurs. What's that about? And I remember in middle school, I'm like, I don't know. They're probably in there somewhere, right? I, I was just so much pressure to feel like I had to find dinosaurs in Scripture. The, real, the, real, the realistic thing is this. Um, when it comes to the book of Genesis— we all, I think, honestly have, in the words of one of my professors who we're going to look, use some of his stuff today, he says we all come into Genesis with kind of a backpack that says creation on it, right? And we all have a ton of like thoughts and ideas and resources when it comes to the book of Genesis. And so you may have stories and things from your past that resemble the, the, the things in here. Um, this is one of the books that my professor wrote called uh, The Lost World of Genesis 1. Um, really interesting take on Genesis. There's just doctrines straight up. There's the New Catechisms, which is a really great book for those who are looking for just a simple answer on what we believe. There's commentaries. There's really big commentaries. I mean, all of these things form our creation accounts. All of these things are in a backpack for us, and we believe, okay, this is my creation take. All of these things fit in kind of this backpack that we come bringing into this morning. And our goal today here is not to answer all the questions, but to answer probably the key questions that I believe the ancient Israels were asking, and not so much how, although I could probably get there as far as how the world's created. I think the Israelites, if you were to go back in time and talk to Moses who wrote this, I don't think his biggest question would have been a debate of when. I don't think he would have had any knowledge or thought of young earth or new earth or any of those kind of things. 
I think their biggest questions in Israel that they were asking that we need to ask of the text is who and why. Who is this God that created and why did he do so? And that's what we're going to look at today. Because we, we must look at this as, as if it's this idea of God forming and filling throughout these days of creation. So as we dive into the Bible, I would ask you to keep those questions in the forefront of your mind. Why and who, as we look into the information of this amazing piece of literature in Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we'll start here, and then we're going to continue to work through this text together. In the beginning. Everybody's probably familiar with that part, right? Like, I memorized scripture. I've got that part down. In the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering, that's a fun word, over the face of the waters. You see, we, we have to remember that when we take this, this Bible literally, when, when you hear so much of that term in church, take the Bible literally, it hopefully means that you take it back to the original language, to the author's intent of the original usage of these words so that you get a better understanding of what the Bible means. If we say we take the Bible literally and we just go with our own English version of beginning heaven's earth and we kind of just put that overlaid of Genesis 1, we can get lost. What we have to do is get some help along the way to kind of say, what did the Hebrew words mean and what did they look like when it came to this text? And we are by no means going to be able to answer all that, but here just as an example is a picture of what this would look like in the Hebrew text. And you can't read that because it's way too small. However, this would be translated in Hebrew verbatim would be in, in beginning he created Elohim, the heavens and the earth, and the earth she became chaos and vacancy and darkness over surfaces of abyss and spirit of Elohim vibrating over surfaces of the water. There's so much in there. There's so much in there, right? And so you've got so many Hebrew words at play in verses one and two that there is no way we can dive into all these. You've got things like Eretz, which is earth. You've got words like bara, which is created. You've got Rauch, which is spirit. You've got Elohim, which is God. You've got Tehom, which is deep, which is not really deep abyss as we think deep abyss. It's layered as far as what that word actually means in Hebrew. You've got Rachan, which is hovering. We're gonna come back to that at the end. And you've got the big word that many debate, and that's the word Yom, which means day, later. Later on, you've got all these Hebrew words that are filled with deep meaning. And we have to go back to the original Hebrew because I believe that when we look back at Genesis 1, I believe that this is not simply a narrative, descriptive history of what happened. I believe that Genesis chapter 1, and the way it's written, and I'm hopefully going to prove my case this morning, is oral history through repetition and pattern, a poem or song almost of lyrical poetry that is found in your beautiful text of Genesis chapter 1. And I say that because of these things. So let me give you just an example. As we look at creation account today, we'll see some amazing repetitions. And so as you look through each of these days at Genesis chapter 1, you're going to see a couple things. You're going to see, and God said, you're going to see that repeated a lot. You're going to hear, it was so repeated a lot. You're going to see God assessing that day repeatedly. You're going to see dominion of God or God called or separated. In other words, he owns what he creates. And then you're going to see he time stamps it repeatedly. So let me just give you an example. If you have your Bibles, go ahead into verse 3. So let me read verse 3 and show you what I mean by this. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. 
First thing, and God said, and God said, let there be light. So first thing in the repetition, you see that God is speaking. He is creating out of his own being. He is creating out of his own essence. He is creating from nothing, which is crazy to think. But, and God said, let there be light. And then he says, and it was so. And so the and it was so is, and there was light. I think it's in the next one, Justin, if you switch over. There you go. He said, God said, let there be light. And it was so, and there was light. And then there's an assessment. And God saw that the light was good. So he looks and he says, this is good than what I've created. And not good as in right and wrong. This is good as in like, this feels amazing. It's, it, 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 to, to give you a small glimpse, and this is a really lame example, but if you've had that really, really good fourth or fifth meal that you shouldn't have had because it's just so good, and you leave with that feeling in your gut, like you could barely make it to the vehicle, and you're like, that was good, right? The fullness, the joy, the good. It was just kind of that. It was good. It was rich. It was amazing. That's the good he's talking about here. So he assesses it, and then he continues, and he says he separates it, or he has dominion over it. God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So he separates the two. He, he takes something that is chaotic, and he forms it into two separate pieces. You're going to see this, what he does with water as well. And so he separates the two. And then he gives a timestamp. And there was evening and there was morning on timestamp first day. Okay? So, so you'll see this repetition throughout. Let's go to the next one in, in verse 6. And, and there's a pattern. And God said, pattern here again. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water and let it separate the water from the waters. Verse 7. And God made the expanse and separated the waters. And there were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. You see the same thing. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one dry place. He speaks it. And then he says, um, and it was so, right? And so there's a declaration of it. And then he gives his assessment. It was good. And then there's a dominion. God called the dry land earth, and the waters were gathered together. He called seas. He actually separates them, but then he also names them. So the reason he can name them, I know this is obvious, you're not going to need to write this down, but the reason he can name them is because he created them, right? The reason he can have dominion and rule is because if you create heavens, earth, waters, seas, that's a big deal. Like, you can claim that, right? I mean, you should be able to name cosmos. If you create space that's ever-expanding with quarks and dark matter and things we can't even explain yet because we're still finding them out, if you can create that from just speaking it into existence, dude, props to you because you get to call that what you want, right? I mean, God created out of nothing. He has dominion over it, and he calls it what it is. He, I'm sorry, I was, a, I was a day ahead. Sorry, I'm in day two. God called the expanse heaven, and the time stands there was evening and morning the second day. Now, he does the same thing in day three. Let the waters under the heaven gather together in one place and let the dry land appear. Verse nine. And it was so, and God saw it was good. And verse 10, God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetations, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the third day. You see, the first three days are God's creation. It's forming. 
It's building the structure, but each of them is written in a way in Hebrew that would be able to be able to be given out very easily. There's repetition, there's pattern here. This isn't just by happenstance, these are here. The reason I think this is vitally important is because if you think back to when this was written, which many believe that it was written by Moses while they were wandering in the deserts, and the reason that he was writing it was because they were coming out of Egypt with so many creation stories coming out of Egypt, and they were heading into Canaan, which had their own creation accounts, that it was good for Moses to say, hey guys, remember our creation account? It's the one that matters. It's the true creation account. And so he, he writes it down around 1400 BC, and he gives this account. Now, before then, how would you have known the creation account? you'd have to hear it, right? I mean, it'd be a story told around the campfire. It wasn't like they had documents at that point of like, hey, let's pull out the book of Genesis. They would actually have to hear it orally. Now, if you were to ever grow up as a kid, you probably had songs or stories that you can't get out of your head that were given to you at an early age. One of ours that we cannot get out of our head is be patient. Be patient. Don't be in such a hurry. Okay, so I'm not going to do the whole thing because it's not worth doing the whole thing because it'll be stuck in your head forever. But I'm telling you, like, those things, they stick. And a lot of you guys are like, I've never heard that. Good, good. Uh, some of you are like, I'm so sorry for you. You should feel that way. All these things were, were delivered orally and they were meant to be a way to explain and remember easily. It would be amazing then for them to say as biblical authors, and God said, it was so, he assesses it, he has dominion, and then he timestamps it. Here's your creation story. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing of God to give us these things. So he gives us these as oral tradition, and he says all of these then of day one, day two, and day three are forming the structure. So day one alone, right? And then day, he says, I created light and darkness. He called them day and night. And then day two, right? He goes in and he goes, God created an expanse in between waters. God called the place in between the water, sky, or heaven. Day three, he says, this is God gathering the waters and creating land. God called them uh, seas and earth, which earth, even in Hebrew, is not like our planet earth. It's just land and dirt. Like nobody says this anymore, but it's like grab a good piece of earth, right, underneath my feet. Land is part of day three. And then the final pronouncement of day one, two, and three, all of them, it was, it was good. It was good. So that's the forming structure of this thing. So to put this in a visual standpoint, then it would look like this. So day one, he forms light, heaven, and earth, right? And then day two is a visual way of saying he created the water and the atmosphere, and then day three, dry land and vegetation. And these three pieces are part of this poster from Visual Theology that helps make sense of it in a visual sense as well. We're going to show you that in the end. All of this is saying it's like building a house, right? The foundation is dug, the house is framed, the house is finally built, it is move-in ready, but there is still a difference between moving into a pre-made house from scratch, even if it was very, just newly built, there's a difference between a house and a home, correct? I mean, if you're just to move into the house, the building is there, it is formed, it is created, but there's something about living in it. It's something about making it your own. There's something about raising a family in it. There's something that makes it a home, and that's where we're going to go into the next couple days here. So day four, stick with me. We're going to go through day four, five, six, 
and then we'll, we'll finish things out. So day four, and God said, here's your pattern again. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. That's what God said. And it was so, verse 16, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. He assesses it and God saw that it was good. In verse 19, there was evening and there was morning. The fourth day, he time stamps it. There's this, there's this calling, there's separation to all the things that, are, that go into the fourth day. You would say the same thing for the fifth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with the swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, time stamped it the fifth day. It's not until you get into day six that things kind of take a little bit of a turn, but it's still some of the pattern. And God said, verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw here again that it was good. And then you get into verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We're gonna get into man next week in Genesis chapter two. But day four, so again, just kind of summarizing these up. Day four, God created lights in the sky. He made sun, moon, and stars, seasons, and time. So he's filling day one, day, day, day five. God created creatures to fill the waters and the sky. And then day six, you can see he continues and says, God made land animals and humans to fill the earth, gave plants as food. There's a pattern here. He's forming and now he's making the house a home. He's, he's filling it. So if you had pictures of this, it would look something like this. He would say there's sun, moon, and stars at day four that are filling the cosmos. And then there's day five where he says, I'm giving you birds and sea creatures. And day six, then he creates land animals and man. All of this goes then to this picture of all of them together. This is a beautiful, you're not gonna be able to see this per se on your screens or even online probably, but uh, visualtheology.com, it's one of the resources in your booklet. Uh, it does a really good job of putting this in a visual form. And so what, he, what it says is that these days are connected. Day one is connected to day four. Day two is connected to day five. Day three is connected to day six. What he forms in day one, two, and three, he fills in four, five, and six. God fills the domains with celestial objects and living creatures. There's, there's, a, there's a chaos that is becoming order. There is a rule and dominion in which he can say, I not only can, can create, I can fill these things. And he wraps it all up with day Seven. This is amazing. He wraps it all up in one powerful way that we don't really see coming because on day seven, as you read through this, he actually just lands with rest. He, he lands and he ends with stopping and, and ceasing and, and not doing any other thing, which is crazy to think that 
chapter 2, verse, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts with them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. He sets it apart. All of this is an example to us to say God forms, he fills, but also he rests and he sets apart a day that is holy, that is set apart for us to remember even today of a Sabbath that is meant for rest. God rested and set this day apart, even calling it holy. You see, there's so much here and so many questions I'm sure that come into your mind as far as each creation. But I think if you can get Genesis chapter 1 and say, okay, there was an oral tradition that was passed down. There was a pattern that God was using in literature here that Moses was wanting us to grab a hold of. There was order. There was filling and forming. God is the all-powerful creator. And yet, probably again, we don't have the answers still too, right? Where are the dinosaurs? We don't, we don't know. We don't see it. It's, and here's the thing. It's not important. God did, if it was important, he would have said, and there was a T-Rex on planet Earth on day six. Like, it wasn't in his repertoire to say, oh, they're probably going to want to know about dinosaurs when I write this. I should probably have Moses put that in. It wasn't part of the equation because this is far more vast and beautiful of a God who goes back to our main point is the all-powerful creator who created all things to flourish under his good and loving rule. That's, that's the key of Genesis 1. And you can get into all kinds of debates and hours and hours and hours of debate. But ultimately, I think we all can agree on this statement in Genesis 1 that God is the all-powerful creator who created all things from nothing. <laughs> that's, that's even layers deep. To flourish, that's amazing. He didn't just create the house and be like, here's your house, good luck. He fills it. It calls it to be a home. There's a goodness to your God that wasn't part of any other created God story up until this point. No Canaanite God, no Sumerian God, no Buddhist God looks at the world and says, I am good enough to not only create, I am good enough to fill it and make it good to flourish under his good and loving rule. In other words, I think the other piece we forget in Genesis chapter 1, we get so caught up in dinosaurs and dates and times and gap theory and day-age theory, we forget that this is all his kingdom. This is his. All of it is his. If he wants the earth to stop, it'll stop. If he wants gravity to stop, it will cease to be. If he doesn't want oxygen to be part of our life, it won't be there, right? It's just part of his loving rule. One little side Easter egg to this. How cool is it that our God, who created all things to flourish and loving, did so in a way of order and design? Order and design is how we get science, right? We need science. We have to have science. It only, science only happens, though, through repetition. Like that you could do the experiment again and again and again and get the same result. So God, in his goodness, says, yeah, they're going to love science. It's going to frustrate them to no end. But, but I'm going to give them science, too, because there's going to be repetition and seasons and things that they could do science with. God could have just said, create, boom, and then just chaos. 
Like, no gravity, no consistency, no seasons. It could be like summer, well, in Ohio it is. Like summer one day, winter the next, and there's just no give or take, and then he's like, Ohio, right? But, but he creates all these things, and he gives us repetition, order, design that point us, as Romans 1 says, back to our Creator. Now, as an all-powerful creator who created all things to flourish under his, loving good, his good and loving rule, let me just add this then for where we leave this morning. The all-powerful creator who created all things. If we believe he is the powerful creator who created all things, then we, we get to believe these things. God, in a time and language and purpose, is a God who creates out of himself, needing no other element to create from. Let me just give you a couple bullet points here of who your God is so this can lead us into worship. You see, we can get caught up in all the debates, but if we forget who he is, our worship will be flat because we'll just be about facts and data. It's about who he is. He creates out of himself, needing no other element to create from. That's who your God is. So whatever your circumstances you've come into today, You serve a God who can create from himself out of nothing, needing no other element to create from. That's amazing. Only he can do that. You have a God who fills everything he creates. In other words, he doesn't want you just to live this life. He wants you to thrive in this life. He doesn't want you just to make it through. Like your salvation story isn't, Mike Dumas said a while back, it's not just to make you a better person. Being a Christian is not just so you become good. Becoming a Christian is going from death to life. That's different. Everything he creates, he desires to fill. You serve a God who in creation delights in his creation. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. He doesn't just just tolerate you, he's for you. He doesn't just kind of accept you, he welcomes you. That's who this God of creation is. He delights in his creation. It's almost as if he's got to pull an angels together and like, look, 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 look. Look how cool this one is. Well, this one. I don't know if it does that. But but look, 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 I've called this one by name. Look look how amazing, how how awesome she is. He delights in his creation. You serve a God then who gives order from chaos. We've talked about that already. He gives order from chaos. And you serve a God who claims authority over all he creates. He says to the seas, you go here and no further. He says to the heavens, you extend here and no further. He says to the expanse of the skies, which is riddled with a lot of questions from science, right? Well, we don't have this big water sky thing, do we, above us floating? What's that mean? We'll get into some of that. He claims authority over all he creates. And you see it throughout Scripture. You see it throughout Scripture. From the parting of the Red Sea to raising the dead to raising his son himself to life, he claims authority over all he creates. It's nobody else's, it's his. And why? To flourish under his good and loving rule. God is the all-powerful creator, created all things to flourish under his good and loving rule. Let me just close with this. I said we'd get back to that word hovering in, in your Bible. In Hebrew, as you saw, it said vibrating. You're like, what does that mean? That is so weird. That's a weird term. The term you're looking for is rakaf, which is really fun to say, and you have to have the Israel phlegm to do it. 
covering is rechaf, and it's, it, it means to grow softly. It means to relax. But it also means to flourish, like it's a fertilization. So as he says, he is hovering over the face of the waters, it's causing it to grow softly. There's a relaxing. The only other place this word is really used in your Old Testament to get an idea of what this word hovering means is used of a mother bird protecting its young with its wings and feeding them underneath the protection. It's the bird hovering over its baby saying, nobody gets this but me. And it's always moving and always protecting and always working. And God in his creation said, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. To an Israelite, they're like, yes, we serve a God who hovers over us, who creates and loves us and takes all of our cares and concerns. And even in the very first verse or second verse of creation, he says God was beating his wings over his creation, caring for his creation, caring and growing his creation, causing a house to become a home. And you see it beautifully in Jesus. Matthew chapter 11. Let me just give you two as we close, and then we're going to sing out this amazing truth of who Jesus is and being a God who was there at creation. Matthew chapter 11, because he is hovering over us, because he is, is, is there and caring and good for us, Matthew chapter 11 verses 25 to 30 this, it says this, and at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, do you catch it? God, I thank you, Father of creation, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Spirit except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the, whom, whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. 28, here's your beautiful picture of Jesus. Come to me then, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." I will hover over you as I did the waters, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God came in the form of Jesus and man and said, I'm going to live among you and I'm going to give you truth that is revealed from me, from the Father, that is, here's the reality. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You serve a God who creates from nothing and yet stoops down in, in his fullness to, to rescue us and to say through his son, hey, relax, relax, I got this. He says later in Matthew chapter 6, he says, you see the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, and you wonder why you need to worry. He says, don't be anxious about anything, for your Father in heaven already knows what you need. So as we come into this morning, our practical is we can get all caught up in the debate, but we can't miss the who of this scripture and this passage. We serve a God who is all-powerful, created all things to flourish under his good and loving rule. Let me pray for us as we close. God, you are beyond words, description, knowledge. These things of Genesis 1 and 2 are confusing. They cause questions. And Father, we can either choose to get into debates 
or, which are good, which are good, God, you know that, or we can choose to say this doctrine that you've given to us, this doctrine, if we know it well enough, should and will lead us to devotion. Because ultimately it's about you. This isn't made up stories, this is you. And you chose to send your son down to us to die for our sins, to raise himself to life so that he is the only one who can say the things he said in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God, may we come to you, the one who created all things, the all-powerful creator who did these things for your good, your glory, so think we would flourish under your design. And Father, ultimately, you have rule and reign over them. We thank you for your scripture. We pray that we'd sing these words out back to you. You, your name, is the only name worthy of this story we've just heard, of the facts that we know of creation.